Ruud Elmendorp is a journalist that I've known about for 15 years at least, from the days of video blogging when people who made video of where they were, of so many different subjects, independently using their own websites. Uh, and there was Rude in, in East Africa chiming in, uh, sending messages, putting up video. And so it's like someone that I've known for a long time, yet at the same time, we've never met, despite the fact that even over the last few years, I go to East Africa for work uh, regularly. I still have not met Rude Elmendorp in person, so I'm really excited that uh, now, in this time of the global pandemic, I have a chance to speak with him. Uh, so anyway, um, to the audience out there, uh, today we're speaking with Ruud Elmendorp, a uh, video journalist in East Africa. He's on the line right now, just over breakfast in Tanzania. Hi, Ruud. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. Here we are in, at least for the Netherlands, month number three of what we call COVID times, pandemic times. And there you are. In Tanzania, I mean, how do things look where you're sitting? Well, it, it's very double. Mm -hmm. You can say I'm staying in paradise, but uh, the, the downturn of it is that I'm stuck in paradise because there's no way to go. I came here, uh, I think, two months ago when I was on assignment. And that was exactly when uh, Tanzania reported its first uh, COVID-19 case which uh, resulted in the border closure on all sides. So there I was in, in Tanzania, suddenly realizing I couldn't go anywhere. Yes. And, I mean, uh, over the last few months, uh, what have you been focusing on? I mean, you're a video journalist, so it's always been stories. That's how I know you. Stories about people, stories about what's happening in not just East Africa, but all over the continent and, and beyond. Uh, but what had your focus been just before this crisis broke out? Uh, just before it broke out, it was about Corona crisis, that it was coming up. So two and a half months ago, I did stories on, uh, on the economic effects of uh, the, the coronavirus, because already business was going down because the exports from China had stopped. So in, in Kenya, you could see that there were no, mo no mobile phones anymore for sale and other Chinese products. So already the crisis was coming up, also in terms of cosmetics and hair weaves. Who, and then also suddenly we realized how much was coming from China because, you know, we already knew it was a lot, but we couldn't see the whole, whole thing. And it was much more than only mobile phones. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always something that people talk about, uh, and, but we, we rarely feel it completely. Uh, even if you are in East Africa, as, as I go uh, quite often these years, it's the relationship between China and, and Africa. And as you said, the amount uh, of dependency or at least the amount of things. So I find it very interesting that, for example, the idea of not being able to find technology uh, and, and beyond um, 
so now uh, in the current situation, what are you focusing more on? I mean, you can continue to do Corona stories, I think, but uh, what's the situation for you? Well, I stay here on the beach with my uh, good friends yeah. in Mikadi Beach Club. But um, so I'm somehow limited because the, the Tanzania government is not really open about the number of uh, infections in the country. They, they only report once in a week. And so technically, we, we have no idea of what's really happening outside here because there are many viral videos going around with, with, with people lying dead on the street and there are rumors about secret burials at night of, of COVID uh, fatalities. So moving around here is a bit, uh, I don't know, it, it carries some kind of danger you cannot oversee. And then secondly, Tanzania is not really friendly toward foreign journalists. So I'm in the process of getting my press accreditation, but that has been going on for two weeks now. And I didn't hear no, but I did certainly did not hear yes. So it's a kind of uh, double situation. But I'm, I'm getting small new businesses and, uh, yeah, and I'm looking at ways to, to do work from here that people give me stuff to edit or uh, production work or whatever. And until uh, the, the crisis, uh, how you say that, until it's stopped, yeah. and then I can move on with my uh, business as I was doing it. Yeah. Yeah, Rude, just to go a little bit back in your in your career, in your, in your life, uh, you've lived in East Africa, I want to say for close to 20 years, but I might be overstating it. H how long have you been in that region? That depends on how you look at it. <laughs> I, I came uh, in 2001 to South Sudan. So first I lived in South Sudan, and that was during the war. So I had a quite exciting time, in fact, of living in the war zone because that comes with uh, special uh, circumstances and certain kind of stress, but also a certain kind of joy. And when I came back to Netherlands, that was exactly what I was missing. So then I came back to to Kenya because I had some friends there and that was in 2002 so yeah 20 years is uh, is a good uh, estimation yeah <laughs> and I, what I remember because uh, in a lot of these interviews I've been doing speaking with friends all over the world during this time uh, we always talk about how we know each other and what I remember is in the days of video blogging or what we called video blogging which now has taken on a new meaning. Uh, here in Europe, we were gathering whoever, uh, and it was beyond any borders or any continent, but we were looking for people making video and especially doing stories about everyday life. We thought that was really going to be the future. It should be the future because we wanted to hear from people. And there you were already posting video uh, on daily life, on but not just that, on, on economics, on anything that affected humans. Uh, and that's how I remember um, knowing, not that we knew each other as friends, but we knew about each other. Um, but what do you remember from those days of video blogging and video online? Oh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I started this in 2000. You know, every, it means I believe every business starts with a vision. And um, in 2000, the, the cheap uh, digital cameras entered the market. So for... Uh, 2,000 euros, you could buy a professional camera that before that time were more like 150,000 euros. So suddenly there was the opportunity to, to take on the filming myself. And uh, 
Yeah, indeed, I started hosting it on, on my website, which I had registered in the same time. And uh, so I felt like being a pioneer. Mm -hmm. And if you look back and you look to the future, you see that, that everybody started doing that. And also the, the bigger international channels. So, in fact, I created my own uh, competition by being the first one doing that. And then later on, see that the big boys who I was fighting against started doing themselves. But... That's okay, because they're also among my clients now, but it's an interesting <laughs> development. Yes, yes. Yeah, it, it is odd uh, sometimes when we talk, uh, those of us who used to do more uh, video online and that now probably have, have stopped or, or are doing something else, we always talk about how nice it was back then. I guess that's a sometimes a human tendency to look back and say, ah, the good old days, but how nice it was in a time where there weren't so many people or it wasn't so popular as you said the big guys hadn't yet come uh, but you sound like you don't see the developments of the last 10 or so years of video online as anything uh negative you you, you sound like you see it as an opportunity yeah no because yeah uh, certainly because uh the the, the technology technological developments continued because i uh, engaged into drone flying which is a completely not a type of sport because suddenly you have a camera who moves, moves up and down in altitude, moves up and down forward and backward, and you can turn the camera itself. So it's a total new dimension. And then there are gimbals, there are GoPros, uh, there are all kinds of devices, mobile phones that film. So nowadays you're walking around with a, a multi-camera set and then the challenge is to, to, to bring that together in one narrative. And I find that very interesting. And, uh, I'm also using my, my pioneership in that. You know, I did it before, and I'm yeah. going to do it again. Uh -huh. you know, that's how I look at those things. And the stories remain the same. It's still about daily life, how people are surviving under difficult circumstances. And, um, yeah, if you compare, compare that to, 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 to Western lives who can be very rich in material circumstances but maybe mentally a little bit poor i don't know but mm -hmm. those are the things i'm looking at and that if you have all those gadgets then you can create a very big emotional response because yeah you have so many ways to, to tell your story and uh happily i'm from the days that <clears throat> we used to have control about what we're doing you know it was like writing with a typewriter you couldn't make mistakes because the letter was there and it couldn't be deleted so you have to know what you're doing so I'm happy to have that background. Mm. It's it's. Um, oh, by the way, it's, it's interesting. I hear in the background a very familiar sound of crows, and I know always uh, when I sit in a nice uh, um, uh, cafe or or uh, lodge uh, in uh, I don't know Uganda. There's always the sound of crows in the background. So I hear in Tanzania it's the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're horrible, but they sound nice. Yeah. Well, there's something so familiar. What what is that? Yeah, yeah, and then those ibises, ibises also. Though, but I didn't hear so many ibises here, but also yeah. they're there. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. You also mentioned something that I've I've tried to well, I've tried to understand and help with. I'm um, talking about the um, the way video and photos because of mobile phones and the, the capacity they have, the way uh, false or, or half-truth uh, type pictures, video get circulated. I know among my friends in East Africa, it's, 
it's a thing. Someone will, if you're in a WhatsApp group, someone will send a photo and say, look what happened. And then it gets distributed and the story itself gets changed. Uh, but it's, it's become such a common way that information travels. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you see a lot of examples of it. It almost becomes normal um, all over the world. But I, I really, uh, my experience has been in East Africa where it's just uh, the way video stories travel is oftentimes very, well, not very reliable. And, and uh, it concerns me more in a time like this. Yeah, yeah. And no, I'm getting many of those and I'm not distributing them because I don't know where it's going. And uh, But I, I look at them to, to, to see if I can verify them. And then, uh, so you have to look for small things that are indication of time or indication of period. And then suddenly you can see that that particular film was from one year ago or from another completely other country. Or uh, So you have to be very careful with that. It's even with those small films about death people lying on the streets of Dar es Salaam. Yeah. You know, it's very hard to verify whether that's true. You know, you have to listen to the voices and see whether people are wearing face masks and yeah but it looked quite genuine i have to say mm. uh what is the lockdown officially because there's also the unofficial stuff but officially uh where you are at least uh what does the lockdown involve like what is allowed what is not allowed yeah they have a yeah let's say it's the tanzanian way of an intelligent lockdown so they they have forbidden public gatherings um it's compulsory to wear face masks in the city center. Uh, they, they reduce the number of people in uh, public service vehicles. But outside town, these regulations are not there. So there you'll see that the bars are still open, restaurants, and that people gather in churches and they sing without face masks. And that's something very scary because it's allowed. Yeah. The, the numbers, as you, I mean, you mentioned the reporting, the way numbers are reported is part of what makes uh, the real information hard to get. Um, what do you gather from your, I mean, you're not a doctor, I understand that, so I don't want to put you in that position. But at the same time, we watch, uh, I watch the information coming from different countries in East Africa. I communicate a lot, for example, with friends in Rwanda, in Uganda, and the actual COVID cases are relatively low compared to the rest of the world. Of course, the deaths also low. Um, but what are you, I mean, do, do you make any conclusions in your head at this point about how this is going to go? Yeah, it's hard to say. I'm looking at uh, the number of tests that are done every day. And that's around 1,000 maybe or less. And then they will get like 50 15 cases, one five or 20. But if I look at Djibouti, then they get a much higher number from the same thousand tests. It can be 160, 200, 350. So I'm not sure what's really happening. It's either that they're not testing adequately or that the tests are not okay or that the infection rate is low for some reason. And that reason is not really clear. Nobody knows because... Uh, if you look at African societies, they're always very close to each other. They touch each other. They kiss each other. So the opportunity for transmission is there, but somehow they're keeping it low or everybody's not telling the truth. But that I don't believe that. No. I think they're just giving the real numbers. But I know that there's something going on which is not clear. Yeah. 
Yeah, it makes me curious where else you can look. Like, so if if there's not enough people getting tests, so if there's no test, you don't have any information about, uh, you know, it, does a person have this or not? Uh, so that's not going to be a COVID case. That's not going to be a, a COVID death. But then it does make me curious about other kinds of sicknesses and what's going on in uh, in hospitals. Yeah, yeah. At well, least. that's why I find uh, in Djibouti, they do the same number of tests, 1,000 per day. But there they pick like 150 cases easily from the same number. So either their tests are better or the number is higher. So it's it's weird because Djibouti is not so far from Kenya. It's in the same region. It's also on the ocean. And uh, there are a lot of expats as well. There are Chinese, you know. So it should, it should, be, it should be a little bit more the same. So I don't know what it is. Maybe they're better connected to the outside world or... They had their first infection earlier on. And even uh, what I see, even the, the, the health uh, scientists, they also don't know what's, what's going on. So, it's a, yeah, it's interesting. Hmm. It's, it's also, I mean, I, w- I wonder what happens, you know, is this just a brief moment in global history? Is this, as some people say, a, ch- a permanent change to how things work? Uh, over here in Amsterdam, I honestly, I tell you, it, it feels like this is not a permanent change. There's this desire to go back to exactly how things were, which I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing, but it's a thing. Um, so in East Africa, I know there's this there exists a high level of cooperation on some on some matters, um, the East Africa community. Um, but times like this make it seem like countries are okay. They close the border. They're they're sort of everyone's back on their own. But that's the feeling I get from out here. Uh, what do you gather? Is is cooperation down? Is it is it reduced? And is it going to stay that way? Or what do you think this is? Uh, that's a good question. I can see that the African Union uh, <clears throat> gives regular reports and uh, communicates about what's happening, but I don't see so many collaborations, only that they're uh, maybe offering each other help uh, with sending doctors or sharing uh, medical supplies and sharing information. But I think you, you're you right, yeah, that that people are on their own, but the trade continues. They didn't close the border for uh, for trade, so the transports are still ongoing, uh, there are cargo flights are continuing under strict uh, regulations. So the, 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 the machine is, is running, it's only the, let's say, the, the, the informal sector that gets hit, because they used to be on the street with all their small businesses, and many of they're not allowed to do that anymore, so they're out of this as well. And so, uh, and that's it. And in terms of change, yeah, I'm not so sure how they're going to change after this because they first have to recover and uh, and then look at change. So, because that's also what I see everywhere that they're, they're making the COVID crisis much bigger than it is because so far I see it as a health crisis that. Mm-hmm. societies who are not prepared for a pandemic, but they make it an environmental crisis, they make it a political crisis, they make it a, uh, an urban crisis, that it, it gets blown out of proportion in my view, but that, that, that's just my view on it.
I tell you, it's in, and I've been doing these interviews over the last few weeks, and I speak to people, for example, in, in cities like Mexico City and LA. And uh, when you hear about how city life is now, that's where you hear people say, wow, I this environment, I mean, uh, at least in terms of the, the air quality, I like this. This is, we didn't know yeah, we could yeah, do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I read that. In, in Venice, they can see the fishes swimming in again in the water, which used to be brown. Yeah. And, and will be again, I guess. That's that I keep wondering. <laughs> I don't know. For yeah. myself personally, uh, I've been here on the beach now for six or seven weeks. And it's very clear to me that once this crisis is over, I'll go back into the life I had because I liked traveling. I liked meeting people. I like staying in hotels. So, <laughs> and that's only me. So I can imagine that more people want to go back to the life they had. Yeah. Yeah, and and then when you consider uh, the and you you started by speaking about this, which is really interesting, the relationship between, for example, China and uh, say a Tanzania or, or Kenya. I mean, we know it's a strong relationship. We know uh, not just in terms of uh, trade, but also the development, right? The, the I want to call them mega projects, and uh, I don't see those projects stopping. Uh, although I think it's interesting that people can look around at this moment and go, "Oh, wait a minute, we don't we don't have this, or we're not doing this because uh, that was coming from China, and right now China's not uh, engaging, so or reduced engagement. So now what? What do we do? Oh, in this case, we wait." Uh, but of course, there have been people in the past in East Africa who say we should do it ourselves or we should try to develop that capacity somehow. And, and I've seen those projects occasionally turn up. Some of them last, many of them don't. Yeah, no, it's true. There might be a, a reconsideration that I can see that suddenly people realize how dependent they were on China. So that one I can see that maybe they start importing from other sources as well. Because if you're going to get steel, you can also get that from India, I believe. So maybe that I can see. But the, the thing itself, I don't see it changing. That, that they will continue with big infrastructural projects because they need them. But already, when I did my stories, just before the crisis, the, the, the markets were already moving to, to other sources. Like I said, India to, to get uh, raw materials because th that's the same route. So it's easy to divert the, the shipping routes to there and hmm. yeah and maybe we'll see some more of that and maybe what that would make mr trump very happy to have some more imp imports from the united states i don't know <laughs> there, there are options available yeah yeah hmm. so if uh, i mean you're waiting on a, a journalist visa which as you said is taking way longer than it should uh partially maybe because of the crisis who knows um, but if you if you do get your your visa, where uh, as much as you're allowed to uh, without revealing your 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 ways of working, but where do you want to be right now, and who do you want to be talking to if you were able? Now I want to do a story about tourism, mm -hmm. so I could do a story about how uh, <clears throat> uh, lodge lodge owners are surviving during these days, and then there's a shipyard next to where I'm staying. And the shipyard is continuing production during uh, the corona, and they've taken their measures to, to keep things running. So there's a nice story in there. And for, for the rest, I'll have to see. I, I, it will be corona stories, and especially Tanzania. I think they would appreciate some uh, positive uh, covering because 
the president is not really helpful in uh, giving positive messages with all those funny things he's saying. But so I could do stories about how the small traders are dealing with the situation. How do they solve it? Uh, do they do business from their homes or uh, what other ways did they find? Because also what we have to, to understand that the, the coronavirus for the, the average African, the average Tanzanian is just one. Uh -huh. Many problems already there. So it's not uh, having something new. They're just having something on top. Yeah. So they might be very creative finding solutions. Yeah. Because, yeah, they, they had Ebola, they had yeah. HIV, they had uh, cholera, they had, no, you can continue. Sure. And this is just one of them. And also, that's why I think why many Tanzanians are also not taking it very seriously because they had so many so many other troubles before and they'll survive this one also. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, I think in February, I flew through Kenya and uh, and there was an extra health check. And I thought, oh, this must be uh, corona related. And when you look at the forms and all the questions, it's all Ebola, actually. And, and Ebola, everyone. so they were ready. So that's another thought I had. Well, why the number of infections is, is low? Because the, the, the detection systems were already there. They, they were already picking people from the line that had fever. And I don't know what they do with them. And they were already aware. So that might have stopped things at the early stage. Yeah. Yeah, there's an interesting thing where uh, a, a virus, uh, when you talk about populations and some kind of infrastructure that is very familiar with like an Ebola, uh, like a, the, the possibility that there's a virus coming maybe through tourism or travel uh, or, or some other means, and they're already trying to detect it before it even yeah. becomes a major issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ethiopia is the same. They also have a, uh, these temperature guns. Uh, but even South Africa, that amazes me because the, <clears throat> they already had an Ebola awareness, but somehow there it, it slipped through. Mm, yes. And in the meantime, there you are on a beach uh, among f some friends, thankfully. Um, what do you what do you find yourself? You know, I, I find myself taking up hobbies uh, that I didn't have before, whether it's music or, or learning something. Uh, what do you find yourself learning or, or spending more time doing these days? Uh, no, basically, it's quite the same. It's right. just that I'm doing more. Uh, I have to... Uh, and I divert my acquisition activity. So the first thing I did was finishing pending work. Ah, yes. And then I started reaching out to, to clients about what we can do just to use my situation as, a, <clears throat> as an opportunity. And funny, funny things happened. And, um, yeah, I got a client who offered me a two-year freelance contract. And then a few days ago, the... I got my contract for signing for a documentary in Somalia. So that one is on the, on the rails. Uh, we have to sort out some small details. So on this beach, many things happened. And uh, I'm doing a small film for a client. I'm talking with you. So somehow life continues <laughs> well, from here. And yeah. It's quite interesting because 
if this continues, I could just stay on this beach. <laughs> right. One of my favorite sort of philosophical questions is always, uh, for life to happen, do you need to go out and, and take action? Many people say that, right? That's common motivational talk. On the other hand, what if you just stay home and do nothing? Does life still happen? Does life find you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe. It depends on your, uh, on your web. Like a spider has a web. And a spider sits in the middle and just waits. So it depends on the quality of your net, whether you have to move or not. Maybe that's a nice anal analogy to, to use. Yes, <clears throat> yes. If you have a good net, then you, yeah, then you stay. Hmm. Hey, uh, you got me curious, especially because you, you mentioned Somalia. I mean, again, uh, one of the things that occasionally goes uh, under the radar or, or makes it above the radar these days um, is the stories from places where there's other major problems and there have been, but they get uh, unheard, especially because of Corona stories coming to the top. Um, when I think about Somalia, I think about all kinds of uh, issues that the country or the region is, is dealing with. Um, have, you, have you worked in Somalia before? I don't remember this, Rude. Yeah, yeah, no, since 2005. Yeah. I went to 2005 for the first time. Since then, I've been going every other year, and uh, I have to say <clears throat> the situation is improving, but the insecurity is still a very high. And what we can see now, I'm, I'm, I'm monitoring it, is that Al-Shabaab is uh, stronger than ever. It's like they're using the coronavirus as a, as a shield to uh, operate behind. There are more attacks. There are more attacks, and even big ones, but yeah. How, uh, how do they do that? I mean, how do they use the coronavirus as a shield? Yeah, I think that they see that, uh, that the structures have weakened. Ah. The military also have, uh, has to deal with corona. That has consequences. And that it's like they're using that opportunity to, uh, to make some statements. They're attacking badly, even places where people live. And yeah, that's uh, at least interesting. It's also very sad. But on the other hand... I was reading that also Al-Shabaab got attacked by the coronavirus because they were first saying that the true Muslim would be immune. Oh. No. <laughs> so it works both ways. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. But well, that's interesting, actually, that, that you say it is improving. I mean, I've, I've also known it as a place where different regions are doing uh, differently, basically. Uh, Mogadishu being its own thing, Somaliland and so forth. Uh, so, But it is interesting to hear from places that right now you simply wouldn't see it in in any major publication on all the big news sources it, it seems to get glossed over it always has that risk uh on regular times but now in pandemic times really falls to the bottom of the list yeah, exactly it's the same with the, the locust yes Just before the coronavirus there was a huge locust uh, plague and they miraculously seem to have disappeared all of them <laughs> Uh, so where are they now? I remember in February they said they were in, in approaching Uganda and the Ugandans were talking about it, but that's the last time I heard about it. Yeah, exactly. It's like they, they simply don't exist anymore, but that's amazing. So I have to do some research there where they went. The, 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 right. So that's that whole question of, um, what do they call it? Not food chain, but, uh... Supply chain, supply yeah, chain. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you and you know quite a lot about supply chains, I think, because I've over the years with the videos about uh, different projects to to build trains to improve shipping routes. 
So that's always an interesting topic and a changing topic. Nice, yeah. Yeah. Um you've also over the last few years I think you've you've written definitely that you're you're open to projects that go beyond the continent. I mean tell me about that a little bit like you're I I always find you're you're busy enough on the continent of Africa. Um but uh what was the thinking behind going other places and how did that go? Uh to to to, to learn. Mm. It doesn't happen so much the last time <coughs> I went uh, to I went to Australia some months ago. That was an interesting experience to 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 see other societies how they're dealing uh, with their issues, and uh, it's much more luxurious. But on the other hand, it it, it it's not so much different. It's it's also <coughs> people striving for survival, but they have better means for it, and they have better backup systems. But yeah, once you see there's a pandemic that they appear to be just as vulnerable as the African countries I'm traveling through. And if you look at the numbers, they're even much more vulnerable. Mm. And yes. that's what I get to tell Africans who have a, a kind of, okay, yes, now it's the turn to Europe. They should not complain because we always have these issues. But that's not really fair because the, if a crisis hits Europe, it, it's much bigger. The numbers are much higher than any pandemic or epidemic they had on the whole whole continent so yeah, that's not really fair to say those things but still it also makes them think that nobody is uh is um, guided against anything so right. there might be a learning experience there as well yes yeah this idea and, and we know it it comes very loudly from the american government these days but it's existed in quieter forms all over europe the idea that Oh, illnesses, wars, uh, all the bad things. That's that's over there, uh, and and over there has taken the form of sometimes it's it's an Africa thing, sometimes, but sometimes I think especially with Corona in the early times it was thought, ooh, there's some kind of new disease in China. That's a China thing, though. We're gonna be fine because that doesn't happen here. That's how it spread. <clears throat> yes, yeah. I think there was a moment where the. Um, and, and some people put this on the minister, the former minister of health here in the Netherlands, who who wasn't doing very well uh, physically um, when Corona broke out. And he had uh, at least been part of the decision to send medical assistance to China during the Corona uh, yeah, yeah, outbreak. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then there was, I think there was an attempt at criticizing him here because we needed uh, some materials that perhaps we had sent. But you know, this kind of thinking, I mean, what does that mean? Then you should never engage with the rest of the world because you might have problems later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, for the for communities here, it's also interesting to see that uh, <clears throat> Europe, where many people uh, pay high prices to, to pay a boat to cross the Mediterranean, that also Europe is vulnerable. So it might be a lesson here as well. It's not that the length of milk and honey is just another... <laughs> side of the world with its own challenges so it, for both ways it's it's a learning experience yeah but that's you know and that comes back to what i'm curious about and we're, we're going to see no matter what uh but i've i've sort of wished sometimes i wish for for the story of this world and learning and and improving to move faster because i wish that people would learn or see uh some of these what i consider to be truths but i i sometimes wonder if if this passes quickly uh 
will any lessons really be learned? Uh, but we, we don't, you know, we don't know. I just, I bring it up cause I'm, I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope, uh, that a better health response system will be there. Maybe permanent temperature chest testing or something small with a big effect. <laughs> yeah. 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 And let's see, I mean, it's possible. I know it's a big subject in the United States, but it's the idea of how your country, um, uses their resources, whether it's money or, or whatever else, for a health system. Um, and of course, all over the world, we have these private health systems and, and this idea of, well, you have to arrange your own uh, insurance or whatever it is. Um, but at times like this, I think uh, we, we, we see the limitations of such an idea. Such exactly. A yeah. But what are you going to do? Because the previous pandemic is 100 years ago. So are you going to put a huge expensive system for something that happens once in a century? So it's, yeah, there are challenges that I have to look into, like how do we do that? Because it's, yeah, hot, it can happen again, but when and how big will it then be? You know, it, it, it's interesting. So I don't think they're going to do so much. Maybe a small early warning system that have the, 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 the institutions ready to scale up their uh, response, something like that. But... I don't see a big, big changes. It's because why, you know, it's, it's highly unlikely that uh, a thing at this scale <clears throat> is going to happen anytime soon. But yeah, it, it, it's possible. So yeah. it's yeah. difficult to, uh, to make an estimation of that. Yeah. Well, what I see here is that it's also a reminder that um, as much as people love to be in their homes and focus on their family, their job, which is, I think, a global thing, um, it matters who your, how your neighbors are doing, and what's yeah, going on yeah. around you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Well, Rude, uh, I want to make sure so so people can for those that haven't seen your work, don't know of your work. I mean, there's a couple of ways to go. I'll share your link to um, uh, to your YouTube channel, to your website, uh, above all, yeah, cool. and it's a really great domain, videojournalist.nl. Uh, as you said, yeah, you yeah. registered it in the early days. Cool. Yeah, pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll put those links out because especially yeah, at a cool. time like this, I mean, uh, if people want information, they want video reports from that region. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I would be happy with that. Yeah. Uh, by the way, do you hear a lot about that? Like, I'm sure you know some foreign correspondents uh, that you occasionally cross paths with. Where are all the foreign correspondents right now? Well, there are many who took uh, repatriation flights to their home countries. <clears throat> yeah. But there are, there are a few left. There are yeah. a few left. Not everybody went home. Mm. And also for myself, I have to see what to do. Okay. <clears throat> because if it really goes out of hand here, yeah. I don't know, because we also have uh, xenophobia, because they, they think... It's the white people who brought it here. Wow, okay. So also sometimes you get shouted at like Corona, 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 Jesus. and that if that takes a serious form, I have to to consider what to do. But yeah. uh, <clears throat> for now, I'm okay here. Yeah. And also, I, I would like to see it through here, <clears throat> and uh, that's how I go. So okay. I'm on the beach doing my business, and once I be, I'll be able to move. I'll do more here. Yeah. All right. Well, I look forward to it, and I, I, hopefully the, the the only name they call you in the near future is Muzungu, and uh, yes, exactly. And we can go away with not uh, being called Corona. I don't, I don't like that as much. 
All right. Well, Rude Elmendorp, it's a pleasure to to get to speak with you, and uh, I would I would love to do it more often. I'll, I'll be in touch as always. Um, but wish you all the best there in Tanzania, and uh, thank you. Thank you too, and stay safe. Yeah, we'll do. Ruud Elmendorp is a East Africa-based video journalist. Find him at videojournalist.nl. And that does it for today's program. Big thank you to Ruud for checking in with us and giving us his time. And wherever you are out there in the world, I hope you're doing well. It has been some months now as we've been living in this pandemic. And I'm happy to have had this opportunity to speak with friends all over the world. I hope you've caught some of these programs, and I wonder if you haven't gotten something out of them. I've heard from some of you on the social media, via email as well. So thanks for all that. And by all means, uh, as always with podcasts, there are more shows uh, either coming up or if you go backwards in the archive. Either way, I appreciate that you're out there listening, and I will carry on with learning, asking questions, looking around at what is going on in the world. So thanks, and see you soon. See ya.